Father in heaven, thank you so much that we have this opportunity to come and study your word again. Lord, help us to see things new and old from the scriptures this morning. Illumine our hearts with your spirit. Help us to understand your word. And more than anything else, may you bring conviction and conversion upon our hearts, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is Sensationalism or Conviction. We are continuing our study in the seven churches, and I just felt impressed to, to give it a different title because this is what we're going to be seeing here this morning. But let's jump straight into the scripture, shall we? Starting there in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. We are at the church of Philadelphia. This is the sixth church. There are seven churches in total. Next week, we'll be looking at that last church, the church of Laodicea, which is the most famous of all of them. But here we're looking at that church of Philadelphia. And the church of Philadelphia, the word Philadelphia just simply means brotherly love. And it refers to that time period from 1833 to 1844. And though it is in the past, we are going to see how this church relates to each and every one of us. We've already seen in the church of Sardis, when it ended in 1833, we already saw judgment language coming up. And we'll see more of this in the church of Philadelphia. But how is Jesus introduced? He that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. Well, let's start with that holy and true. What is holy and true connected with? In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says this, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? You see that? Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? What is holy and true connected with? About God judging and avenging. They're asking for vengeance. They're asking for judgment. But then also we see the key of David. He that has the key of David. What is the key of David connected with? Well, in Revelation, uh, pardon me, Isaiah 22 and verse 22, this is what the Bible says. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. And this seems kind of elementary and obvious, but the key of David is the key to his house. And well, what is the house of David connected with? What is in the house of David? Let's continue. Psalms 122 and verse 5. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. So what is the house of David connected with? Well, in his house, we see thrones. And what are those thrones connected with? Judgment. Somehow, we see Jesus introduced to the church of Philadelphia. And 
there in those words that are described about holy and true, having the key of David, it is all connected with judgment. God is going to judge and no one can do anything about it. When he opens that door, no man can close it. And when he closes that door, no man can open it. What does that mean? Well, only Christ has the authority to judge people. Even the Father in heaven doesn't judge. Why? Because we have a fair judge who understands what we have gone through. It's not the Father that is not fair. It's not that He's not fair or just at all. Of course He is, but He's never become human. He doesn't understand what the human frailties are all about. He doesn't understand from our perspective. He can't empathize with us like Jesus can. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16, we are told that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, we can go boldly to the throne. Yes, a throne where a king sits upon who judges us. We can go boldly to the throne of grace, the throne of God. And what will we find? We will find mercy to help us in time of need. We have a high priest, a judge who can give us that help. And he is more than willing to because he understands what we're going through. And so even though Jesus is going to judge, He's still extending help to each and every one of us. He has the key of David as well. But do you know in Revelation, there is mentioned another key. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Friends, Jesus has the keys of hell and death. When Christ judges, He has the power to determine who will be saved and who will be lost. We don't need to worry about what people will think about us and what they will do to us. What matters most is what Christ thinks and how He will judge us because His judgment is determining future eternal life for either damnation, eternal damnation, or eternal life in heaven. He has the keys to each and every one of our lives. And He has a key that is able to open a door which no man can shut and shut another door which no man can open. Look at what inspiration talks about this doors that are opening and shutting. Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, 268, Paragraph 3. But clearer light came with the investigation of the sanctuary question. Now was seen the application of those words of Christ in the Revelation addressed to the church at this very time, and that is in Revelation 3, 7, and 8, which, what, which is what we're looking at. Here an open door, uh, an open as well as a shut door is brought to view. At the termination of the 2300 prophetic days in 1844, Christ changed His ministration from where? The holy to the most holy holy place. When in the ministration of the earthly sanctuary, the high priest on the Day of Atonement entered the most holy place, the door of the holy place was closed, 
and the door of the Most Holy was opened. So when Christ passed from the Holy to the Most Holy of the heavenly sanctuary, the door or ministration of the former apartment was closed, and the door or ministration of the latter was opened. Christ had ended one part of His work as what? Our intercessor to enter upon another portion of the work, and He still presented His blood before the Father in behalf of sinners. Friends, this is really the foundation of our faith. Pardon me, I should say central pillar of our faith, the 2,300 days doctrine found in Daniel chapter 8. This is what sets us apart from the rest of Christendom. It is the doctrine of the investigative judgment. Christ, He moves from the holy place to the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. He's about to start examining records and He's beginning to judge. That is what took place in 1844. If you're not familiar with that, then please reach out. Reach out, especially if you're here in Malaysia, in KL. Reach out and let me know because that means we got to sit down and we got to study together because this doctrine, this understanding is so interesting and so important to us. Christ is beginning to judge. He began for us already to judge in 1844. And where did He begin? In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17, the Bible says, For the time is come that judgment must begin, where? At the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Friends, the judgment will begin at the house of God. Those that call upon the name of God, those that claim to be Christians, God, He begins to open the record books and He begins with Adam and Eve and then Seth and Enoch and all those, all those prophets and all those patriarchs that went before us. He's judging for eternity. And for this church, the Church of Philadelphia, it's about to begin. But for us, I want to remind you this morning that as you're sitting there in the comfort of your own homes and wherever you are, that judgment has begun already. We are in the midst of it. That time, it's past, and we see Christ standing in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary since 1844. Friends, He's interceding for you and me. He's blotting out the sins of some that have passed from this stage of earth's history. And to others, he, He's holding them accountable for the sins that they've committed. Some are reserved to everlasting life and others to everlasting shame and condemnation to be one day burned in the fires of hell. Friends, I want to remind you this morning that as you're listening to the sermon, as, as the sun is shining outside, even as life seems to be moving at an even pace, and the ebbs and flows of your life seem to have this beat that's cut out a clear path for you in your life to follow, I want to remind you that God this morning is judging, judging each and every one of us. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And verily, I believe many of us are standing there even now, having our life records investigated by Christ Himself. And there's something far greater to live for in this life than what you see with your own eyes, friends. I want to remind you of the sober realities of this life from the viewpoint of heaven 
this morning. I believe that many of us have, have lost sight of Christ, our merciful high priest. Where is he? In the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, judging from above. Friends, this life is soon going to pass away, and he has opened a door that no man can shut. He's judging, but he's also opened a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, can lose all their guilty stains. Friends, not only is he judging, but he's hoping and he's wishing and he's praying, interceding that we would go to the throne of grace and mercy and find help that only there we can obtain. But let's continue, shall we? Let's continue in Revelation chapter 3, and now verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. You have a little strength, Christ says, but you've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. Their strength was made perfect in Christ, and as a result, they were faithful to God's word, faithful to the name of Jesus. And in a similar manner, friends, we need to continue to be faithful. We have to continue to hold on to the Word of God and to keep it close to our hearts. And we have to have courage to stand up for what is right and not deny the name of Christ. But let's keep going. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. You know, it's so interesting what has happened here. The synagogue of Satan. You know, we saw them back in the church of Smyrna. Do you remember what was happening with them? Let's go back and read this in Revelation 2 verse 9. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And it says, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. There was a group there that was saying they were Jews, saying they were true Christians, but they were really from the synagogue of Satan, false Christians through and through. And in Philadelphia, we see the church of the synagogue of Satan, and it's still there. They're still saying that they're Jews. And this is the reason why God has to judge. He needs to begin at the house of God because there are people in there that are claiming to be Christians when they really weren't. And how do we determine, friends, today for us who the true Jew is so that we're not deceived by them? Well, it's simple. We saw it in the, the Church of Philadelphia. What is it? They are faithful to the Word of God and they don't deny the name of Christ. True, The true Christian, friends, is faithful to God's Word. Even though many say, and even though many Christians say that they're Christians, are they really faithful to the Bible? You know, profession means nothing. Just because you raise your hand, are you a Christian? Raise your hand. It doesn't mean anything, right? How do you live your life? Are you true to the Sabbath, which the Bible is clear about from Genesis to Revelation? Are you faithful to all of God's Ten Commandments? Or do you think it's okay here and there to, to, to break um, one commandment? Is it okay to lie here and there about, about your job and your studies? Are you faithful to your spouse? Are you faithful in all that you say and do? 
The synagogue of Satan thinks it's okay to not be true to the Word of God here and there. They hold man's traditions above the commandments of God. But not only that, they deny the name of Christ. Well, what is the name of Christ? It is His character. Name, more often than not, represents character. There's, there's meaning behind it. And in Matthew chapter 24, we're told in verse 5, many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and they'll deceive many. At the end of time, friends, many will deny the name and the character of Christ. They just say it, but they don't really have His life and His character. Do you truly live like a true Christian? This is how you can know the difference between a true Jew, a true Christian, or a false Jew and a false Christian. Between the synagogue of Satan and the true, and the true Christian at the end of time, we'll, we'll know the difference between these two. And then in Revelation, in that verse, it also says that God will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. It seems like God is going to vindicate His people. Do you remember Jezebel in the church of Thyatira? If these church names are a bit confusing, then maybe you need, you need to go back and listen to those sermons that we've preached in the previous weeks because we've been going through every single church, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, and then last week, Sardis. We've gone through five churches already. But in the church of Thyatira, there was a woman by the name of Je Jezebel. And we know that from history, she was a bad church. She persecuted God's people, literally, and also spiritually here in this time. She represents a church. That's what a woman represents, just like what we see in the synagogue or church of Satan. But God says what? They're going to be brought low. I'm going to make them to come and worship before your feet. They're going to acknowledge that you were right one day and not them. But you know, friends, even though the church or the synagogue of Satan is in the church of Philadelphia. God will have a group of faithful people. Even though that's, that there's all these things going on and, and, and you know, that, that there's a group of people that's faithful, yes. But let's have a look about further of their characteristics. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Friends, according to this text, how do we keep the Word? We keep it with patience. Why do we need patience? Why is it so important to have patience when it comes to keeping of the Word of God? Well, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Why do we need patience? We need patience to overcome temptations and trials. We need patience because it has and produces a perfect work. It'll make us perfect and entire, wanting in nothing. Patience is such an important attribute to the extent that God's last day people in Revelation 14 is described as the patience of the saints, not the love of the saints, not the joy of the saints. Here is the patience 
of the saints. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But here in James, we see that it is developed through what? Trials and temptations as well. Friends, do you feel like you're going through a rough time at this moment? Do you remember the bigger picture? Don't forget James. God, He's preparing you to, for future immortal life. He's strengthening you through trials that you're facing. And He's also going to make a way of escape for you. You know, the Advent movement of 1844, they were about to face one of the biggest temptations and trials that they were ever to face, the great disappointment of 1844. Many would be discouraged thinking that they believed a lie when Christ did not appear for a second time in the heavens. They would not hold on. But it really just showed that much of this group, they got caught up with the sensationalism of 1844 and Christ's coming. But their faith was not grounded upon the Word of God and the name of God. People were getting excited hearing about the second coming on a, on a specific date, October 22, 1844. And some, they stopped working. Others, they, they sold everything that they had. There was this general excitement that was sweeping across the land and across the churches and where every, every church was talking about it. Jesus is coming. God really was truly working. But not everybody was converted. Not everybody was studying the Word of God. They were just going along with the ebbs and flows of what was taking place at that time. And you know, friends, it's easy to get caught up with sensationalism of doing the right thing. You know, those big conferences that you go through, go to and youth conferences and youth meetings and camp meetings and where all the churches, even here in Malaysia, we have it, all the churches come together from the different language groups. And you get caught up because you, everyone seems to be going and, and you meet all these nice people, you stay in some nice accommodation, it seems fun and exciting. Everyone seems to be looking forward to it. For us, even we, we close our church. And it gets easy to get caught up with this hype of what everybody does. And your life changes. But not because of the Word of God. But because everyone else around you is doing it. Your, your friendship group has changed. And everyone seems to be going vegetarian, so, so you do it. Everyone seems to be changing their jobs, winding down for the second coming, so, so you do it. Everyone seems to be moving out into the countryside, away from the wicked cities. So you do it as well. But then Satan sends a storm and he sends a trial and he sends some sort of temptation and you come out thinking that you've been deluded by all these groups of people. Why did I sell all my investments and why did I move out here? And because your faith is not founded solidly upon the Word of God, you quit what you're doing and you throw everything away and you think, I made sensational decision. Look, friends, there's not anything wrong with moving out into the countryside or quitting your job and serving God or even going vegetarian. All these things are important. We should be vegetarian. We, serve, we should serve God more and not our own self-interests. We should try as much as possible to move out of these wicked cities, especially with so much temptation. But what is it that has convicted you to do these things? Is it the Word of God? Or is it your friends? You know, when the trials of life come, will you easily give up? Have you truly been convicted and converted by God's Word to hold on to that which God has shown you through His Word, no matter the circumstance? 
But many people in 1844, they left the Advent movement when Christ did not come back. When it ticked over from 1844, October 22 to October 23, that group of about 50,000 people dwindled down to 50. There was only a small group left that went back to actually study the Word of God, to check what had gone wrong. They held fast their faith. They weren't caught up with the tide of sensationalism, but rather they had a calm, abiding trust in God's Word, and they had the sense to go back and study. Where did we go wrong? Friends, unless you're a student of the Word, There are so many ways in which Satan can sweep you off your feet and out of the remnant church of God. We need to keep the Word of God with patience. How? Well, Matthew 26, 41 tells us, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41. That's how we can be kept from temptation, friends. That's how we can gather strength to obey the Word of God. we got to watch. we got to pray. And when the Advent movement, they went back to study the Word of God. After the great disappointment, what did they find? Well, Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. They found out that they got the date right, but they got the event wrong. Jesus, in 1844, moved from the holy place to the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. And that was Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. But nonetheless, since that date passed and and Jesus moved from the holy to the most holy, guess what? The very next thing that he had left to do was come to the earth for a second time. How long does it take for Christ to judge the world? It doesn't take long. Don't think that we've been here for over 170 years because Jesus, he, he's still going through all the records. Hundreds and millions and billions of people that keep coming and going, he can't keep up. No, Christ is ready. And he would have been ready shortly after 1844 if many of the people that were in the Advent movement had not given up and left their faith. Christ would have come shortly after that. But this was a verse, Revelation chapter 3. It was an encouragement for them to keep moving forward with their mission. Whilst everybody was giving up, The encouragement comes to them. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to that which you have. Don't let anyone take your crown. The mission to tell the whole world of of Jesus' soon coming, it was still upon their hearts to remind them to hold on and not let go. And I believe, friends, today, that if you go back and study the Word of God, I believe that if you are watching and praying, If you truly are walking with Christ day by day and moment by moment, He will give you that same conviction that He is coming quickly. The Word of God will stir your heart, your mind, your life. It'll cause you to reorder your life. It'll give you different priorities. Things will begin to change because of that conviction. He will give you a new heart your thoughts, your purposes, everything will come in harmony with the will of God.
The mind of Christ will be yours. And when that happens, friends, when that happens, when God finally gives you a new heart, the number one purpose in your life will then be to hasten the second coming of Christ. But sadly, many people, our purpose is just not in that direction right now, isn't it? And you know, even as a pastor, you can lose that focus. You can forget that Jesus is coming so soon. Ellen White tells tells us. I mean, I'm not talking even about people, but even as ministers, it's possible. She says the reason why many don't walk with Christ is because we are about a day's journey from Christ. Many ministers, it's possible to get caught up with the world and lose sight of our focus, lose sight of the Word of God. And all we begin to do is think of money. All you think about is your education. All that consumes your life is your relationship. And you still seem to go with the flow of what it means to be a Christian, but all Satan needs to do is send you one trial in your life and it knocks you off your perch that you've been sitting on. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, have you forgotten today that Jesus is coming so soon? Have you forgotten about the second coming of Christ? What is the driving force of your life each day when you get up? Have you been prioritizing Christ? Have you been feeding upon His Word? Have you been watching and praying? Or is it your work or your studies or the girl or guy that that you're dating that is first on your mind? Have you forgotten to hold on? So Christ says to us, Revelation chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name, he that hath an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. God says, if you overcome, overcome what? Overcome that sensationalism. Overcome the trials, overcome the world and and focus on me and, and on my word and my love for you. If we overcome, He will make us a pillar in the temple of God. He will write upon us the name of God. He will give us a new name. That's conversion, friends. That's conversion. But do you know that in Revelation, there's a group of people that have the name of God in their foreheads? It's found in Revelation 14 and verse 1. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Friends, the hundred and forty-four thousand have the name of God, the name of the Father written in their foreheads. It's part of their character. It's part of their mind. And friends, it is in this time Right now, today in 2021, we have this opportunity not only to hasten the second coming of Christ and see God with our own eyes, but we can be part of that group, that group that never sees death. That is one of the defining characteristics, do you know, of the 144,000. God says if you overcome, you can have opportunity to be part of this group. And so, friends, as we have studied the church of brotherly love today, I want to remind us 
that we all have a work to do. That if we truly have the love of God burning in our hearts, we will have love for our brothers and sisters. That's what the Church of Philadelphia, the word Philadelphia means. We will be busy in God's work the work that He set before us, which is the salvation of souls into God's kingdom. We will realize that we have but a short time left. Christ and His kingdom is coming quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Especially in the book of Revelation. Do we see that? In Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12, Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according to his work. And he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Friends, when you begin to study the Word of God, that conviction will be placed upon your heart and your mind. You will have a different sense. You will have a different thought. You will have different purposes. God's Word will begin to transform you and help you to see that your focus should not be of this world. You will see and you'll open your eyes that as this world we're just stuck in this pandemic. It seems like there's no end to it, especially here in Malaysia. And these thoughts should not just drive you to just get so upset and be bored and and go to the world, but these things will drive you to your knees and help you to realize that God, He's given us a sign once again. Matthew 24, the signs are fast fulfilling. We got to get ready. We got to hold fast. And we got to get others ready as well. Friends, this is conviction from the Word of God, not sensationalism. Because of conviction, not sensationalism, someone needs to change their careers today. Because of conviction, someone needs to change their course of study. Because of conviction, someone needs to change the direction of their life. And I'm telling you, there are some people, they're going to come up to you and say, you're being sensational. Why are you throwing your careers out the window? Why are you throwing out everything that you've ever studied for out the window? and they'll think you're sensational. But friends, there is a very fine line between sensationalism and conviction. Do you know that? It's just like there's a very fine line between a legalist and one who follows God. It's a fine line. You can't tell. You can't tell. Only in your heart of hearts you'll know, friends. But yes, can you see sensationalism? Yes, when things change, they change. But a person who's convicted by the Word of God, it's not when things change, it's when the Word of God tells them. Then they change. But do people come back from conferences wanting to throw away their careers and go serve God in the mission field? Absolutely. And some people will brand that sensationalism. Oh, that's the last time I let you go to a place like that. But friends, you've got to realize there's a big difference. One is grounded firmly upon the Word of God. The other is not. And which side do you stand on this morning is for you to figure out whether you've been doing your devotion, whether you've been walking with Jesus. Will you still be standing when everyone else has deserted Christ? Will you? 
Some people might have thought that well, what Gideon did in, in destroying his dad's altar just that night, oh, God came to you and now you got to work, work on and act upon it straight away. Yes, you do. But people will think that's sensationalism. But friends, our conviction must be founded upon our relationship with God. It has to be. And you know, friends, almost 20 years ago, I decided to quit my IT job. It's 19 years ago, really. I decided to quit and I wanted to go and study the Bible. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew, I had heard this sermon from Doug Batchelor. He's like, if you want to know what God's will is, you gotta go spend time in the Word. And all I knew is I hated my work. I hated turning up for work. I hated coding. I didn't, didn't, didn't like any of that, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I quit, took a break, had my midlife crisis at the age of 22, and went and studied the Word of God. And I'm telling you, some people think you're crazy. Some people think that you've just drunk some different water. You've eat, eaten some different type of food. And they, they see that you became vegetarian. They see that you stopped watching movies. And now you want to quit your job and go study the Bible. They think there's something really wrong with you. They think you're being sensationalist. Sensational, rather. But friends, how would they know? Should I just tell them that I've been studying the Word of God and that's it? Sometimes there's nothing you can answer them and you just got to go and study. You got to go based upon your conviction. There's got to be a clear guide, absolutely. It's got to be the Word of God. You got to be able to see it there. You got to be able to see Jesus guiding you. But friends, which side do you stand on? Because I am convicted truly that Jesus is coming quickly. And I believe that there's someone out there that needs to reorder their lives in how they've been living it. Maybe you've been wavering because you're scared of family or friends and what might they might think about you and what they're saying to you and what they're whispering in your ear. But friends, I want you to take hope and courage. That's not sensationalism. This is about listening to a sermon and not just getting all emotional, but understanding what the Word of God says, having your eyes open to see that Matthew 24 is fasting, uh, fulfilling fast before us, that we're living in the 11th hour of Earth's history. The signs are all there, friends, right there before our eyes. And friends, today I'm pleading with you, don't put off any decision that you have to make today for tomorrow because tomorrow might never come. Jesus says, today, if you hear my voice, harden not your hearts. Jesus is the one, not the pastor, not the preacher. Jesus is the one that says, today, when you know what is right, act upon it. Don't wait till tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow will bring, friends. That's conviction. It's not sensationalism. You've got to go based upon what? The Word of God. And I believe that there are many listen to the sermon and, and they, they, they waver. They go back and forth. They don't know and, and, and you know, people are saying this and, and parents are saying that and, and close friends and your best friend is saying this and your, your, your career guidance counselor is saying that and, you know, 
and you come back to the Word of God and then you go back out and you're confused, but it's not so much you're confused, but you, you lack the courage to make the decision. It's a big step. It was a big step for me to step away from IT. It was a big step for me to get rid of everything else and then just fly off to US and go and study. It took a really big step. I didn't have much support. But friends, if you have that conviction from God, if God be with you, who can be against you? And so today, my dear brothers and sisters, whoever is listening, whoever is thinking about this, has God convicted you? Stop, stop saying to yourself, I, I, let, let me go pray about it. If, if the Word of God is clear, the thing that we need to pray for is courage to do that which is right. That's why I find many of us feel the need to pray. It's not because the answer is not clear, but it's because in our heart, we're scared. And so you got to remember, with Christ by your side, what do you have to lose? So what if your career takes a, a little bit longer to, to be mapped out? So what if you have a few less dollars in your bank account? Money will always be there. You can always find it. But Christ may not always be there. Behold, I come quickly, he says. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take your crown. May God help us to hold fast today. May God help us to live our convictions in each of our lives this day. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters out there and myself also, Lord. So often we've gotten distracted by the world that we even haven't had time for your word. But there are some, Lord, I know that are out there that are studying, that, that are reading, that are walking with you, that are spending time in prayer and they're watching. And somehow, sometimes, Lord, we wait for the right opportunity. We're watching for that right opportunity to stand out, not realizing that you've opened the door already. You're just waiting for us to step through. Father, please help us to see Jesus today. Help us to realize that only by His side, with you by our side, that we can be strengthened to do everything you want us to do. Help us not to get scared of what man may think, but only give us the courage and the faith of the martyrs, that no matter the situation, Lord, we'll be faithful to you to the very end. Lord, be with those who are in a valley of decision. They're thinking, they're praying, they're pleading for light. Help them to see the light that you've already shone in their pathway. And help them, Lord, to remain faithful to you and that you'd guide them and convict each of us, Lord. Give us a conviction that will go beyond just feelings and mere sentiments and even situations about what's happening around us but that you would give us a clear conviction on your word today. Thank you, Lord. May you please guide each of us and lead us continually with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.